So we're continuing through our sermon series called The Answer That Changes Your Life. And so this series that we've been going through, it's all been all based on this one question that Jesus asked Peter. Who do you say I am? And based on that answer, it changes how we experience Jesus in our life. And so some, as some replied, some said you're Elijah, some said you're like a, a different prophet. And then he asks Peter specifically, but what about you? Because you can give off all of these different types of answers, but based on the kind of answer that you give and how you live out that answer, it changes your experience of who Jesus is in your life. So for each one of us, when we think about our following of Jesus and how we experience him, the, the thing that we need to question in our lives is, is it possible that the way that we've been answering, even though it sounds right, that we say Jesus is God or Jesus is the Son of God, when, whenever we answer that kind of question, is it possible that what we say isn't exactly what we really believe? What we say isn't exactly how we live our life. You know, today I want to focus on bridging that gap between saying that Jesus matters in my life, saying that Jesus is the first priority of my life, and living like Jesus matters in my life. We need to bridge that gap between what we say and also how we live. So we know that there is a difference, and that difference is usually met and usually seen when we look at our own lives and we try to evaluate how we're living, just think about those moments that are high-intensity, high-challenging, big-decision moments of your life. How many of us have used those moments where we say, because Jesus matters, because Jesus really is Lord, and he is who he says he is, that I will sit down with this job interview that's happening or this preparation that's about to take place, and I will bring it towards God. And if God tells me to go in one direction, even though it's not what I wanted, even though it's not what I expected, even though I prefer something else, I will surrender. How many of us could do that? How about for some of us who are students? And then there's big exams that are coming up or uh, studies that you have to do. And then suddenly God's spirit comes upon you and starts convicting your heart. You need to spend time. But that we push it away because our mindset is my exam or my success in this exam is so much more important than spending this space and this time. Because we can't see why Jesus matters in that moment. In fact, we see a very similar scene happening with Joshua right before he took over Jericho. These walls of Jericho, they were impenetrable. No other invading army could bring it down. And the night before battle, before, uh, the night before they went into their first day of battle, Joshua, he meets this angel that says, come and worship. Now, that's not the best strategy for Joshua, who's trying to prepare the nation of Israel for the biggest and first battle of their life, where he says, so what are we doing? How are we strategizing? We should stay up all night to make sure that we can claim the city, and do we have our strategies in place that will help us? But instead, the angel comes to Joshua and says, instead of meeting with your generals, instead of meeting with your tacticians and all that kind of stuff, what I want you to do instead is come and worship me. Now, the plan that God had, that had shown Joshua was completely different 
than the best military strategy that you can think of because his way was completely different. He says, march around the city and do nothing. Just march around the city first day and then that's it. And then do it again the second day and that's it. And then on the seventh day, proclaim the name of the Lord. Now for us, when we hear it, if we were in that battle situation, it makes absolutely no sense. Why would we do that? How is that going to help us in battle? How is marching around the city going to bring down these walls? How is marching around the city a strategy for claiming that place? You see, in that same way that Joshua could have thought that in that same mindset, he knew Jesus really mattered. He knew that God mattered in his life. And if God said, go this way, he would go because he trusted him. He utterly trusted him. In that same way with each one of us, we need to ask ourselves in our most vulnerable, in our most challenging, in our most desperate situations, when we look back on all those places in our life, was Jesus simply used as a token, as almost like a religious, superstitious kind of action where we'll just pray But we don't really depend on it. We just feel like that's what we need to do, so we'll pray. But we're not expecting an answer. We're not expecting a direction. See, for each one of us, we are challenged. If Jesus matters, then we need to live in that way. And when we do, we begin to experience why he really matters in our life. We begin to experience the things that only Jesus can do in and through our circumstances rather than always experiencing what we can do through our own resources and our own strength. So here's the first thing that uh, I want us to look at as we look at this passage together, is what Jesus proclaims to each one of us. He says, this is who you are. This is who you are. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. I'll read it for us. I'll be reading from the NIV. It's right after he gives the Beatitudes. And then as he's looking at all these people who are already followers of God. They, weren't, they were not non-Christians. They were not you know, non-Jewish people. These were people who already believed in God. And this is what Jesus says to each one of them in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds And glorify your Father in heaven. Let me say a quick prayer. Father, as we get into your word again this morning, may it come alive. May it dig through our defenses. May we really consider what you have to say, Lord. May your spirit lead us, direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus makes a very strong statement in this 
in, in this passage, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You see, he didn't say you can be like salt. He didn't say you should be like light. He actually makes a declarative statement, a statement of fact, a statement of truth of who we are have been already created to be. It's not something that we need to try for or ask God, make me like salt. He says, you already are that. I've made you like that. You are the salt. You are the light. It's already part of us. You see, for some of us, sometimes finding that identity or understanding that this is who we are and living in into that is a difficult thing to do. For whatever experiences that we have, whatever insecurities that we've experienced, sometimes living in into our identity is very hard for some of us to believe. You know, I, I can bring up my own kind of struggles when my parents, they immigrated, they had my sister here, and then I was born here as well. And after being born and raised in Canada, you know, most of my friends that I, that I had in elementary school and then also through high school, they were all non-Asian. They were all white or some sort of European. That was who I was always surrounded by. And I always felt this kind of like feeling of insecurity, feeling left out, feeling I'm very different physically looking. And my parents are different in terms of culture and language than all of the friends and the people who are around me. I had a hard time really accepting this Koreanness inside of me. I remember I kept telling people, I'm Canadian. I'm Canadian, right? Even though they look at me and they're like, hmm, you don't look Canadian. And I said, I'm Canadian, right? And that's my identity. And I kept holding on to that. You know, there were uh, some times that my mom, she would pack my lunch and I would hate those days or I would dread those days when she would pack, you know, kimbap or, you know, rice rolled up in kim. You guys know what that looks like, right? I would hate that because as soon as I bring it out, my friends would go, ew, what's around your rice? And I went, it's seaweed. And they would be so gross. I'm go, that's disgusting. Right? You eat seaweed, what, you go gather it, and then you, like, dry it, and then you just wrap it around your rice and you eat it? You know, in those days, it was difficult. I, when I, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, nope, I'm not going to open up my lunch th today because I know I would be made fun of. These days, you can buy kim, right, at Costco, and I've even seen some Caucasian folk opening up the kim, and they're just walking around eating it like a snack. I almost want to come up to them. That's not, that's not how you eat it, right? You eat it differently. But it's become so popularized now. But back then, it wasn't so popular. You know, I've done, I was trying to do so much, I remember, as I was growing up, to mute my Koreanness. I didn't want it to come up. I, I always try to ignore it. I, I always try to hang out with my friends outside of our home because once they would come into our home, they would ask me, why do we take off our shoes? <laughs> right? Why are you asking us to take off our shoes? Or, you know, what are your parents saying? Right? We don't understand how your parents are talking and their conversations that they're going through. And they could feel that our house is different than their houses. Uh, I remember even in university when I graduated high school and I was going to university, I made a beeline to join the inner varsity Christian fellowship rather than the new Korean Christian fellowship that was just beginning that year. And I could notice that I had this intentionality that I wanted to continually push down this Koreanness that was inside of me. I wanted to blend in. 
with the world around me and all the people around me. But these days, because of K-pop, Korean dramas, you know, the advancement of our electronics, Korea really has been trending, right? And so it's hard to really see why would you try to mute your Koreanness back then? But back then, it wasn't as popular. I remember the only time in my childhood life that put Korea on the map was in 1988 when the Korea hosted the Summer Olympics, right? And I remember at that time, people said, wow, I didn't know that Korea was a country, right? I thought that Korea was a city in China. I went, yeah, we are our own country, right? And, you know, that really put Korea on the map for me. I went, wow, finally people know what Korea is because before, whenever I say I'm Korean, they would say, what's that, right? Where is Korea? You know, sometimes in my life too, one of the questions that I would try to avoid and I hated being asked is when people would say to me, hey, where were you born? Because as soon as they say that, I knew what they were asking. They are saying, what's your ethnicity, right? But as, as soon as they say, where were you born? I would just respond and saying, I was born in North York, <laughs> right? Because that's where I was born. That was the hospital. But I know what they were asking, but I didn't want to say it. And they'd say, no. And this is the question that I hated. No, where were you, bo uh, where were you born before you came to Canada? I'm like, what? <laughs> Does that make sense? I know that they're asking, what's your ethnicity? I just didn't want to give them that satisfaction. I wanted them to know, I'm Canadian, just like you. I was actually made in Canada, right? My parents were in Canada when they made me. I am pure Canadian. In fact, there was even one time that, that I got irked at church, when I was serving at a downtown church um, here in Toronto, uh, I remember it, it was a campus ministry, lots of young college people were coming to this church, and then one day there's this one Caucasian family that came in with their daughter, and I, I guess they were just trying to find a church for their daughter, and afterwards, as I usually do, I'm outside just greeting everyone as they leave, and then as this one Caucasian family was leaving, I just said hello, shook their hand, and I said, I'm so happy that you guys were able to connect with our church, and uh, it looks like your daughter's probably going to be going to school here, and you're looking for a church for them. They said, yeah, that's right. And I said, hey, can I connect your daughter with some of the young um, ladies that we have in our group? And I'm sure, uh, you know, they can show her around, and they can help her feel connected. And this is what they said to me. The mom, she replied by saying to me, it was a great service, but we don't think our daughter connects with the Korean cultural parts of it. And so as soon as I heard that, I was like, irked again, because I knew what she was saying. Because I don't look, you know, I don't look Western, right? But then in my mind, I wanted to make, I was so close to making that snide comment, just to let her know that we don't do our service in Korean. I want to say, oh, I I'm so sorry about that. Was it the Hillsong music? Was that too Korean? cultured for you? Was it my perfect English sermon that was too Korean culture for you? Like in my mind, I wanted to make that comment so badly just to let that person know, hey, there's nothing in our service that we do that, that exemplifies Korean culture. It's just my face, right? Just my appearance that shows it. You see, it took me so long to finally come to a place where I became more and more comfortable and accepting of my Koreanness. And I began to see its significance, its worth, and how that contributes to make me who I am today. See, when we look at Jesus' proclamation, he says, you 
are salt. You are light. In other words, if you are a follower, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life, he says, this is who you are. It's part of you. But in a world that's so different and then acts differently, it looks differently, sometimes it's so hard for us to accept that part of us. How many of us feel that it's inappropriate or feel that it's awkward, that when we go to work and then we packed our lunch and we're about to eat it, and we're in a business meeting with other people, and they're about to eat their food too, and they just go right into it. But for you, we struggle because we feel like, I usually pray before I eat, but in this situation, maybe it's inappropriate. How many of us struggle with that because we feel like, I want to just blend in. I don't want to offend. I want to kind of mute this part of me in this scenario. How about some business decisions that we need to make, that we know that it begins to clash with some of the values that we have. And then at that time, even though Jesus keeps saying, you are salt, you are light, we try to mute those aspects in our lives because we feel like, but that doesn't fit. That doesn't align with our business practices or the way that we want to move forward with this or that's not going to land this client or whatever it might be. You know, we struggle with this a lot, and we try to mute it. We try to mute that identity, and Jesus keeps reminding followers of Jesus that you are salt. You are light. And just as there are different types of uses of salt and light, God created each and every one of us to be that specific salt and light to the environment that's around us. See, when you look at salt and light, they are both absolutely essential to the way the world works. Without salt and light, the world cannot function. Without light, there is no energy. The world cannot grow. Without salt, there's no, um, there's no things to add flavor or preservation to our food. Salt and light is absolutely essential to our world. In the same way, Jesus was saying to his disciples or to followers, you must be salt and light in this world because you are absolutely essential to the survival, to the well-being of the world, and especially the people in your direct circle of influence. See, for salt, when we think about salt, there are two common usages of salt in the ancient world. It was for, number one, flavoring and preservations. And the disciples, they were called to provide an alternative flavoring to what the world was used to. You know, in Colossians 4, 6, this is what Paul says about the way that we should live as Christians. It says this, let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In a nutshell, Paul was basically saying the way that salt is used in this case, the way that we are salt in this case, he said, you become an alternative wisdom to this world, alternative way of living, alternative way of conversing, and your words directing towards a different outcome. 
You see, when he says seasoned with salt, notice how he says seasoned with salt. So even though we're salt, it doesn't mean that we just pile on salt on everyone. It doesn't mean that every conversation that you go to is all about Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because if we do that, have you ever tasted too much salt? It, like, it just overwhelms, right? And people go, whoa, that's, you know, you got to like calm down on some of that religious talk and you're just overly zealous, right? Too much salt isn't good. That's why Paul says, season your conversations with salt. In other words, he's saying, your conversations are good. Continue in the conversations that you have. Don't just talk about, like, spiritual stuff and just think that all you have is spirituality. You are more than that. But at the same time, more than just having a conversation that's just about those things, he says, add depth to it. Add substance to it. Add flavoring to it. Add this salt, your faith. Add solidity to your conversations that lead to deepening life. See, Paul really wanted to help us to see, as salt, we're called to preserve this life that God has given us. Not to just let it be wasted away or let it to just be lived just for the sake of existing. He says, your, your life with Christ in you being that salt and you seasoning everyone else's life because of your conversation, the way that you direct these conversations. He says, we are supposed to act as a preservative to this life, a reminder that there is an eternal life that offers more than simply just existing for the short time that we have here on earth. You know, just as we look at Genesis in the beginning where God created and he used his words to create substance. And in that substance, he created order out of chaos. And out of order, out of chaos, he created purpose for, for creation to go along. In that same way, he says, use salt, use the wisdom that God has given us. Use this alternative way of living. So that the words that you give are not just empty, that are here today, gone tomorrow. He says, flavor it with the eternal. Just as when God says, let there be light, and there was light, and it continually existed. In that same way, he says, look at our conversations that we have. Do we add anything more to those conversations that are beyond that instant. Our conversations that talk about, wow, remember that time that we had so much fun back then and we did this crazy stuff? Wasn't that awesome? Great, that conversation is good and you should have those conversations. But then he says, but it shouldn't just be there in the past that is there today and then gone tomorrow. He says, now season it with salt. He says, now begin to think there must be more to life than just simply these moments of entertainment, these moments of pleasure. He's saying there needs to be substance that's driven into it that shows the significance of our life and the purpose for which we were created. See, just as God used words to season our creation and our life and to bring substance to it, so should our conversations bring substance to the things, uh, to the people who are around us. This is why later in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 to 38, Jesus tells us the world needs followers of Jesus 
to live like Jesus matters. Let's look at the passage together in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in and to the harvest field. See, the reason why sometimes it feels like Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' words, Jesus' life, it doesn't really matter is because he says, in this world that I've created, I've seasoned it, he says, with salt. I've seasoned it with my people. But here's the problem. The problem is, even though I seasoned it with my people, they're not acting like salt. In fact, a lot of them are acting blind. They're, they're tasteless. They're not contributing their, uh, their identity in Christ. They're not contributing into their outward setting. And so even though we have a lot of workers or we have a lot of Christians that are in the world, they're not acting like salt. And that's why Jesus says here, so ask the Lord to send out more. In other words, ask the Lord to catalyze more that we begin to act like this. And so that the world feels seasoned. The world feels like Jesus makes a difference. But when we're not, and we stop acting like it, then the whole world just feels bland. And our engagement, Jesus' kingdom, and, and why Jesus matters to me, doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make a dent in the world around us. Because there's only one little particle of salt maybe there, and it's not enough. Brothers and sisters, is it possible the reason why in our lives it doesn't feel like Jesus matters is because even within the church, we're not activated as well. See, when we have such small numbers, our potency is limited. And this is why Jesus makes that declaration, ask the Lord of the harvest to keep sending out more workers or to keep catalyzing people to begin to act like salt. And then he talks about light. This is why Jesus implores his disciples to let their light shine. Jesus says he himself, not us, but he is the light of the world. He says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And because he is in light of the world, we are called to allow Jesus' light first to shine within us, first to direct us in the decisions that we make. Remember those decisions in our exams or in our workplaces or in our relationships, our, our social settings, all of those places. He says, let God's light shine in you. And so in that shining, it can activate this alternative way of living that begins to show other people more substance to our existence, more significance to why we matter. He calls us to shine this light. So how do we allow Jesus' light to shine? Look at, look at how Jesus describes this. When, when we say, let your light shine, what does that mean? Letting my light shine, letting Jesus shine inside of me. Sometimes it's hard for us to make it into a tangible. And so Jesus does that for us in chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, verse 5 to 8. Jesus sends out his disciples, not to the world, but within their own people. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, 
when he says proclaim it or shine that light, what does he mean by it? Look what he says. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. See, these tangibles that Jesus gives within his own church, remember, where did he send the disciples out? He didn't say, go out to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. He says, go out among your own people. He says, start here within the church. He says, this is where we begin. And as you begin, activate their light. How? He says, by beginning to show people that alternative. And he says, how you proclaim God's kingdom within our own church setting, how we proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Jesus matters in my life, he says, is this way. He says, number one, heal the sick. Number two, raise the dead. Number three, cleanse those who have leprosy. Number four, drive out demons. And number five, freely give. Now, I don't know about you, but within our community, it's hard to think that I don't have the spiritual power to heal the sick. Or I've never cast out demonic presence or oppression or whatever thing people are going through in Jesus. I've never done that. I've never cleansed those who have leprosy. I've never driven out. Um, I've never raised the dead. And freely give as I've been given. That's been very difficult for me to do. You see, each one of these things... Notice that Jesus doesn't give other things by saying, you know what, why don't you, in order to proclaim the message of God's kingdom, why don't you do this and give just a jacket to someone who is poor? Or why don't you do this? Why don't you, you know, take my word and teach it to other people? He lists tangible things that we absolutely cannot do without Jesus doing it through us. You see, within our own church community, he says we proclaim God's kingdom by living like Jesus really matters by doing the things that we know we cannot do. In other words, he's challenging us, can you step up? And when a brother and sister is going through a very difficult time, can you sit with them and just pray? In Jesus' name, whatever healing needs to take place, you sit with them and you weep and you mourn with them and you're just praying and you're holding on to Jesus. Jesus, you need to, you need to heal this part of my sister or my brother. Because doctors can't do it, psychologists can't do it, uh, my friends can't do it. It's only Jesus that can do it. If, if someone is going through some oppressive stuff in their life, we sit down with them and we know their situation. We know what they've been going through. And it's been constant, constant, constant. We sit down with them and we're praying in Jesus' name. Will you break that principality or those strongholds? Because it's a spiritual reality that we have no, uh, we have no position to come in into and saying, in my own power or in my own expertise, I can do it. Jesus is listing things that he knows we cannot do. And he's saying, I want you to experience these things being taken care of, these things being healed in Jesus' name. And we're, when we're able to proclaim and have that kind of confidence that Jesus heals, that Jesus transforms, 
that Jesus makes a difference within our own community. He says, then that gives us a little bit more security, a little bit more confidence now to go out into the world and to start living like salt. Because we see that it's possible inside. See, the proclamation that Jesus makes, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near, that proclamation is given by an action. We begin to live like Jesus matters. Brothers and sisters, as a church, if we cannot live like this towards one another, then how are we supposed to expect that we automatically will be this in the world that we're engaged with? So here's the final takeaway that I want to give, give us as we close this off. So where should we begin? For some of us, we might say, what is that tangible or what is that place that we need to start and to hold on to Jesus saying, Jesus, help us to be this kind of community. Help us to be a community that proclaims who you are and what your kingdom is, living like Jesus matters. How do we do this? Well, start here. Begin with what bothers you the most and make it better. Usually that's a little bit of a sign that Jesus placed in your heart where if there's something that really, like, irks you about Christian community and it's really bothered you, chances are you're probably gifted in that area because God has made you sensitive to those things. For other people, they're clueless. They don't know because they're not that body part. They're not that kind of sensitivity to those kind of things. So for some of us, it actually might be, you know, the... <laughs> The worship, right? You might say, wow, Eddie, that, we need better worship. That's great, right? Because your ears are sensitive, right, to music, right? And you know that you can sing better. You know that you can play better. You know that if you put in a little bit of effort, you can make this dynamic better for everyone else. If that is what you're sensitive to, then start there. For some of us, we might feel like we're more artistic in nature and there's lack of aesthetics, Right? I'm not an aesthetic person whatsoever. And you feel like, man, it would be great if we had some like, art examples or aesthetics that we can put up. Like maybe some flower or maybe some sort of representation of who Jesus is. And so whenever we see it, it helps us to reflect more deeper rather than just with our left brain. If it's the aesthetic, then you start there and you say, you know, this is what I can do. To help bring that aesthetic. So if people walk into church and they may just see symbols or they just may see decorations or whatever. But when they see that, it puts our hearts, our emotional, our mindset in a different space. For some of us, we might feel like our group's not welcoming, right? We're not, we're not really tight together. We're not really close together, right? And, and it'd be great if we're a lot more welcoming. That, that's great. Because that might be where you need to start. And it's like, you know what? I think we could start something like this or we can make these casual, you know, off-the-cuff kind of meetings or hangouts just to make this place a lot warmer. And if that's your specialty, if that's your gift, then that's where you can start. You can just come up to, like, people like Andrea and just say, Andrea, I want to host this and I think that this will go well and it will be really fun. Don't ask me. I'm not a very social person. Right? And so even if I'm there, I'm just going to make it really awkward. And so some of you guys are really blessed with that. So you can start there. 
Others of your group might be feeling like, hey, we're missing some engaging activities. It's, church is just about you speaking and us singing, right? There must be more than simply just listening and singing. Then great. Then think of ways that we can be more active as a community together, whether it's missional or whether it's fellowship-oriented. And if you feel that the sermons can be much better and you feel like, man, you know, that could be, I could do so much better than what Eddie is doing. And if it's the sermon's the problem, then just keep that to yourself. We don't, <laughs> we'll help you with that too. We'll send you to seminary, right? And we'll help grow you and your giftedness and your talent in speaking God's word to the people who are around you. See, brothers and sisters, this salt and light that Jesus was giving was not just a metaphor. He's saying, we need to live like Jesus matters. And we don't live like that, then not only do we lose the benefit of experiencing what the body can do as a whole, and for us to marvel at that, that, wow, I know I couldn't have done that by myself, but by seeing the bigger picture of what this body is capable of and what this body is doing, that is amazing. See, each one of us need to be an encouragement to one another by activating our own saltiness. So start living like it. Don't wait till other people start. You just start doing it. And by you doing it, it just catalyzes and it inspires others to do the same. And once we have that momentum and that glow within this community, he says that you will automatically start doing it outside as well. Brothers and sisters, you are salt. You are light. May we not mute that identity within us anymore. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we can depend on you, that you are the one that spoke identity into each and every one of us. I ask, Father, that you will move us, Lord. Move us more towards you, Lord. Today, Father, if your spirit is knocking on the door of our hearts and we, we sense it, we feel it, we know, Father, Lord, that, man, we haven't been living this way. Help us, Father, Lord, to start just that one step saying yes Lord I'll do it I want to be a blessing I want to add flavor to the people who are around me I want to live like Jesus matters in my life Father I pray that you would honor that heart and that request that we present before you so, brothers and sisters, I just want to give you guys just one space, one minute of space. And for those of you who are online as well, just one minute of space to just quieten your hearts. And have that time with God to allow Him to speak, to be still before Him. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you so much that you are here in this space. You are with us, Father Lord, in our homes, in our workplaces. You make yourself always available. I pray, Father Lord, that you continually bring that reminder to our lives that we are salt, we are light. May we be intentional with the words that we speak, with the actions that we do, and the desire to be a blessing to the people who are around us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.